Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Coaches Road Podcasts. Today, we welcome on Heather Mannix, the female hockey regional manager for USA Hockey. Rick, I, I really enjoyed our episode today, and it's it's something that really interests me as a as a coach and someone that's aspiring to, you know, take over a club one day and be a, a hockey director. You know, it's this idea of fun and what it is. Um, and Heather, she's she's really knowledgeable in the topic. She spent time with Amanda Visick studying what is fun for kids and and asking from their perspective, you know, what makes sports fun and what keeps them in sports and keeps them engaged. So, you know, and I mentioned it, I think last week with Darren, but these, these episodes exploring the, the psychological side of sports and, you know, the mental game that, that comes along with competition and, and becoming your best. Like they're so interesting to me because it's something that, it's not thought about a lot and something that I hadn't really looked at before I came over to, to Viramaki. So this, this stuff about fun and, you know, how to get kids more motivated and working hard without them even knowing it, it's really cool to look at. Yes, I can definitely connect uh, to the points you have been mentioning right now. And especially when we think about what is fun from a coach's perspective, uh, we might not always think about what really is fun for the kids. And it's really interesting to get their perspective about what is actually fun because in this way it helps us also to design practice environments where we actually can then provide a fun and engaging environment with the result of keeping everyone in the sport and especially with Heather we're talking about how do we actually can create those environments and why did they come up with the studies what was the purpose and also what are the results and I think we both have been very surprised about some of the results. It's very, very interesting. And I'm very sure that we will link some material um, into our show notes, like always. And if you want, you can have a look before our episode this time, uh, because this might help you to understand the, our episode a little bit better. But now it's time over to Heather. So we would like to welcome on Heather Mannix from USA Hockey to the Coaches Road Podcast. Heather, thanks for joining us today. How's it going where you are? Thank you for having me and it's going great here in Michigan. Yeah, we're very happy to hear and as Derek already said, we are very excited to talk to you today. This episode is combined with a little bit um, preparation, which makes it even a little bit more exciting. And But before we start to talk about the main topic, um, could you please introduce yourself, your background in sports, coaching, research, and what you're currently doing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as Derek said, my name is Heather Mannix. I'm an ADM manager for female hockey with uh, USA Hockey. Um, I grew up playing hockey. I started, I think, you know, had skates on my feet shortly after I learned how to walk and played all through my youth career. Um, played into college and, uh, and then started um, actually went away, moved away to uh, Washington, D.C. and got my master's in exercise science from George Washington University. Um, I did my thesis research was in um, sport and exercise psychology. And, uh, and so it's really kind of understanding the motivation behind sport and exercise participation. 
I was lucky enough that my thesis chair, Dr. Amanda Visick, um, hired me on after I graduated as a research associate on her NIH-funded grant that looked at what makes playing sports fun for kids, what gets in the way of fun, and, uh, and also how, how can we start to measure it. Um, when I moved back home, wanted to get back into coaching, and, uh, and so, you know, I've coached the U10s, U12s, U14s. I love that age group because it's really just an amazing time frame for development. Um, and I got involved with the Michigan Amateur Hockey Association, their coaching education program. Started presenting my the research at um, those clinics, just giving that information back out to coaches where it belongs. Um, but got involved in their coaching education program within USA Hockey and applied for this job and uh, been doing it for almost a year now and absolutely love it. It's one of the most amazing experiences I've had so far. So yeah, Heather, and before we get into the the fun maps and you know what makes sports fun, um, can you can you just describe or, or share with us your, your favorite memory in, in sports or more specifically in hockey? That's mm -hmm. such a great question. And I, and I was thinking about it. And there's so many um, that I could choose from, but I can I can say with with pretty good confidence that I think one of the the best memories I had is um, I actually stopped playing for about nine years, and when I moved back home, um, I laced up the skates for the first time in just short, just shy of a, a decade. And uh, I can say stepping back out on the ice for the first time after that many years of being away from the game and just, you know, that smell that you, you know, that everybody knows that plays hockey, the smell of, you know, the rubber and the cold rink and, you know, the, the sound of the crunch underneath your skates. Um, there really was, I can't, I can't think of a memory that is better than that one because it's like you finally kind of realize just, you know, how much you miss something and how much you love it. Um, it just kind of reignites a passion that is, uh, is very, very strong in me. So I think that's probably my favorite memory. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that smell is, is unique. And I, everyone outside of hockey complains about it. But, you know, as hockey people, <laughs> we, we find comfort in it almost. And I think it's, uh, Absolutely. it's a unique part of our sport. So jumping into fun, um, can you describe the, the theory and the, I think it's the fun integration theory or fun maps and can you just describe that a little bit to us? Yeah, yeah. Um, so basically the, the, the fun integration theory and the fun maps, um, they are, if you think about it, is like an operational definition of what fun is for kids. Um, before this study, there, there was, you know, everybody talked about, you know, it's very important for kids to have fun. Um, enjoyment is very uh, important in terms of, you know, sustaining their participation. But what we've, what we've, what Amanda found is that there really wasn't anything out there that defined that actual actually defined what that experience looked like, um, especially from the kid's voice. And so uh, she did an amazing job structuring this, this study and, uh, and just the methodology behind it, where you actually engaged the stakeholders that, that are, you know, involved in the experience. So asking players, parents, and coaches to list everything that makes playing sports fun for them um, and then or for kids. 
and then ranking or rating you know how important each one of those things are relative to all of the other ones so um, we really the kids informed this data um, and this theory this theory was built from their experience and it's it's i think hugely important because again it gives it now gives a roadmap for coaches and parents to really understand one of the most important things when it comes to youth sport participation um, fun is the number one reason why kids play sports and when it's not fun anymore that's the number one reason why they cite that they stop playing sports and so um, just as a very global overview i'm sure we'll dive into it a little bit more but it's you know the fun integration theory is really just it's an operational definition from the kids voice um, what that fun experience looks like for them yeah and kind of diving more deep into this study overall what was actually the reason behind the study and what was the initial idea behind it and also i was i'm curious how old were the kids you were studying that's a great question um so I think that Amanda and she would be somebody who would be great to have on this podcast as well. Um, you know, I think that she saw that there was a void in the research and the science um, and in the overall understanding of what this experience actually looks like for kids. And so when you see that void, you know, the first thing you start to ask is like, well, what does it actually look like? Um, and so I think that's where the, you know, the initial idea came from. And, um, when what was the second oh the the age group sorry so it is uh we had kids that were from eight to 19 years old throughout the entire study um i think it's important to note that when we uh we structured it we wanted to make sure that we had equal representation from both girls and boys uh kids that were playing recreational um and then kids that were more competitive the elite travel uh kids and then we had it so that we separated it to from younger to older so younger was u u9 to u13 and older was u14 to u19 so we could later on look at differences or similarities in the um in their views on what makes sports fun for them so following up on that that age group thing there like did you find any differences between the younger group and the older group in terms of um, just kind of overall what, what they thought was fun? So um, without getting too much into the, the or I can, I can go into the details of what the fun maps actually are. Um, so basically kind of a recap of, of what it is. They, kids defined fun as 81 specific actions and behaviors. So we have 81 fun determinants they, that they identified. And when we went back, we asked them to, to group these and you know, kind of categorize them in a way that made sense to them. And what they came up with was like 11 categories or what we call fun factors. And then we had them, like I mentioned before, we had them rate the importance of each one of those determinants relative to all of the other ones. Because we knew that, we knew that uh, not everything is going to be not all 81 things are the most important to fun some things are going to be more important some things are going to be less important and it was really 
it was really important for us to understand, you know, where where does that importance lie? And then that way we can, as as you know, practitioners and then coaches and parents as well, um, know where to allocate their resources or focus their attention to really make sure that we're driving home, you know, these specific determinants and factors. These are the most important. And and so what we found was that when we did these comparisons between girls and boys, rec and travel, younger kids, older kids, um, the top three factors remained the same uh, in terms of the most important to, to all of the kids. So what we found was that the kids and what they were defining fun as um, was remarkably more similar to one another than they were different. And so um, trying hard, positive team dynamics and positive coaching remained the top three most important factors, whether they were younger kids, older kids, kids that played rec, kids that played more competitive travel, um, or if they were boys or girls. So that was a really interesting finding from the study um, because I think that we, we initially, as, as adults, we just, we look for differences. And, you know, whenever we would present this data, we'd always get the question of like, well, what's more fun for girls? What's more fun for boys? Like, there's this common misconception that girls play sports because they want to be around their friends, where boys play sports because they, they want to compete and they want to win and mastery oriented. Um, in all reality, what the kids are telling us is that they the things that are the most important to creating that fun experience for them are consistent across all of the, the age groups, gender, um, and competition level that, that we, we viewed. So when I was having a look at the study and the presentation you have been sending to us, I was very impressed that, that actually trying hard is the factor that kids, kids identified as the most fun one. And actually, it, if, you, if I take on my coaches' classes, I would say that they would say the first thing what comes into their mind is playing games or small ray games because from a coach's perspective these are my favorite activities but it is more important to listen to what the coaches think and that's that's the way how we can create an environment where we can actually integrate the components of trying hard and i think it's a it's very interesting that they've been choosing this as their favorite one because i believe that helps them to develop their competitiveness and competitive level and like with everything i think that in everything in life there are certain external influences and could you please describe the external influences on fun yeah absolutely and and to kind of touch on what you what you just said there about trying hard um there's a very common first reaction when we say that that's the most important thing uh, that the kids are telling us and one thing that's really kind of important to to recognize is when you think about and you kind of touched on it a little bit where you thought you know small area games or games would be you know like the the most important when it came to to fun um you know playing games and especially within a practice environment if you think about you know small-sided games at competitive you know creating the environment that it is um it is competitive it is fun uh because it's competitive you know that's where you know you can create an environment where they can recognize that trying hard is really fun but 
it's trying hard when you don't really even realize that you're trying hard, which is kind of the beauty of using games when it comes to development. Um, I think that anytime that you can create a, you know, a competitive environment where it's a, it's a race now instead of just line skating or, you know, there's some, some decision making, you know, and, and you have to get to a certain spot fastest, you know, all of those things go into, you know, this trying hard experience for, for kids, um, playing hard, competing, um, all of those things really working hard, uh, go into what makes, what defines trying hard. And so I think it's really about creating the environment that allows them to try hard because they want to, and not try hard because they are being yelled at, screamed at, or chased by the coach while they're banging their sick to give them some effort. Um, so it's kind of, it's, it's like hidden in the, the, the overall experience if you can do it properly. And so we talk about um, like the external influences on fun. Um, you know, we have on the fun maps, we have, you know, positive coaching, game time support and swag as identified as, you know, the external sources of, of fun. Um, positive coaching is the most important out of those out of those three factors. Um, and so, you know, having a coach that treats players with respect, uh, a coach that knows a lot about the sport, a positive role model, getting clear and consistent communication from coaches, um, a coach that listens and takes players, you know, opinions into consideration, allows mistakes while staying positive. I mean, this, this really kind of all ties into that, that, that environment, that, that culture that we're creating around this experience for kids. Um, you know, having, you know, you have the game time supports, you have friend, or reps that make consistent calls and parents that show good sportsmanship, you know, congratulating and cheering and things like that. Those all go into it as well. Um, but you also, from an external source, if you will, uh, you have those social sources of fun as well. And, um, you know, having positive team dynamics is the most important out of those uh, three that that make up your social sources of fun. So you have positive team dynamics, team friendships, and team rituals. Positive team dynamics was identified as the the most important factor within those three. And um, you know this kind of plays into the 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 social belonging um, when it comes to when we talk about you know self determination theory and understanding you know intrinsic motivation it's how do we create that experience and how do we create that internal motivation um, and so having those positive team dynamics which is you know playing well together as a team supporting my teammates being supported by my teammates um, things like that that really happen within the context of the sport. Uh, I think then play into the types of team friendships that happen off the ice or off the field or off the court. And so a lot of times coaches and, and teams will focus on these, um, you know, team building activities that happen outside of the sport, which absolutely are important and they're great to help build that camaraderie. Um, but as coaches, we need to understand that we can create an environment that you know, fosters these positive team dynamics within the context of the sport. And when we do that, it's going to lead to better friendships off the ice, off the field, off the court, which then typically in turn, you know, lead back to having better positive team dynamics within the context of the sport. So it's like this positive feedback loop if we do it correctly. Yeah, I think that's uh, when it comes to the external sources. Yeah. Like so 
kind of going off of that, and you, you mentioned there a lot about creating the environment for you know a team or for these for these athletes. So, you know what? And earlier you mentioned that you know the fun integration theory provides an operational definition of fun. So, what are um, some operational things that you know your everyday coach can do to create a more fun environment for their athletes? Yeah, um, this is I think one of the things that's mo most that gets me the most excited about doing the job that I get to do. Um, USA Hockey has done a really, really good job when it comes to starting to to look at the science behind development and and trying to break it down in you know the easy, most applicable way that we can translate science into practice. And so. We have what we call the five elements of an effective practice design. Um, we have it's fun, challenging, uh, challenges the players. Uh, there's constant decision making. It looks something like the game, and you get these repetitions uh, without repetitiveness. So puck touches, repetitions without repetitiveness. And what I've found after you know sitting back and, and reflecting on it, and this is, you know, not. To Go off on a tangent but that's what got me excited about being a part of the coach education program in the first place was you know i realized that um, when i was doing my level one clinic that fun was littered throughout the the literature the, the, the all the powerpoint slides you have to make it fun you have to make it fun for kids but what does that actually look like um and i realized when i left that level one and this was with our older curriculum i thought like if i didn't spend the last five years researching what makes playing sports fun for kids i would have you know just had to rely on my own experiences to try to create that environment for the kids but so when you look at and you break it down into those five elements you start to see that all of the other four elements are components of fun and so when you think about how can coaches create an environment that is a fun and where learning and development is happening and that's one of the reasons why it's fun um, i think that those five elements really sort of encapsulate how you create that experience on the ice for kids and so it's as it's as simple as taking a step back and, and looking at your practices and asking yourself, you know, are they actually, you know, making decisions here? You know, how many repetitions are they getting and are they the exact same? And so when, you know, from a hockey background, we look at, you know, uh, blocked drills or flow drills, traditional flow drills where there's a, you know, predetermined path uh, around certain cones and then, you know, go to this cone, turn here, turn here, turn here. And then once you get to here, you take a shot. When we do that, we've taken away all of that decision making from the kids. And that decision making is really, when you think about, you know, creating that intrinsic motivation, um, you know, having a level of autonomy, you know, of ownership of your actions. Um, that's where, you know, creating those drills that allow for decisions to be made by the players, that it looks something like the game, right? It, it, it is competitive, it's, uh, it can be transferred and trans, you know, transferred to a game-like situation. Um, I think that, you know, that's one of the best things that you can do as a coach within the context of the sport. And, you know, really creating a culture that is, um, 
is is supportive of each other you know it's the you know we're only as strong as our weakest link and instead of being upset or frustrated with that weakest link it's how do we support each other and make each other better um i think having that type of a a, a culture is really really helpful um you know allowing those mistakes to happen without blowing up on your kids and um i think also when we when we think about you know we think back to some practices where you know you have a, a best laid plan on paper you're like this practice is going to be awesome and you get out there and the wheels have just fallen off the wagon and everything is just going to crap um instead of immediately getting frustrated with your kids i mean having that adaptability to be able to think on on your feet um if you think back to those situations if you play a game instead of some of the drills that you have all of a sudden the engagement pops back up the effort increases um, it's it's about what is what have we done as coaches to create an environment that engages our players and so when i see players not giving effort uh, i start to think how can i how can i tweak this drill how can i tweak this environment a little bit to get them more engaged to get them focused and on task uh, a lot of times it's just creating you know a point system or uh, some kind of competition out of a simple drill where they're still working on everything that we planned on working on but now there's an outside objective they're competing they're playing they're engaged they're having fun uh, so i think that those are you know some of the the quick and easy things that that coaches can do to to try to foster and facilitate that type of environment to engage their kids yeah that's great and you know that got me thinking a lot about you know early on i, I listened to a, a lot of podcasts from the talent equation and Stuart armstrong over there and you know one of the <laughs> yeah i mean his podcasts are great and i remember you know that was one of my first experiences i think in informal coaching education is 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 his show and you know i heard um i believe it was amy price she was talking a lot about video game learning and sport and you know it got me thinking here with your answer you know how important is it for the coach to to know what's important to their athletes in terms of you know what what are the popular video games what are the popular you know you know you think a lot of right now about TikTok dances and um, stuff like that. So how important is it for a coach to know what is important for these athletes outside of hockey that they can kind of bring into that environment to make it more fun? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, I mean, that goes back to, to building rapport with your players and, and really sort of understanding your players and understanding, you know, what they want, what makes them tick, what motivates them. Uh, I think that that is, it's a, a huge, um, attribute if you can do that and and identify that within your players i think you know if you can start to incorporate things that they get excited about into an actual you know practice environment or or just your culture of, of your team i think that it's uh you know when you, when you talk about how do we motivate players within a game you, know, you talk about Stu armstrong and his you know key key line is i have a game for that um as soon as you do that, the kids are automatically engaged. And so if you can incorporate some outside sources that they identify with, you know, we always talk about, and this is just like one example, where, uh, you know, how do you, end, how do you end your drills? 
Right. And we always like to say that the drill ends with, you know, the offense scoring, the goalie covering the puck or doing something specific with it that we want them to work on, or the defense, you know, either maintaining possession for a certain amount of time, getting an outlet pass or skating to a specific spot on the ice. And, uh, and Kristen Wright, the um, ADM manager for female hockey, my partner in crime, uh, you know, she, I, I steal this from, I stole this from her because I just loved it so much is, you know, if you want your defense to be comfortable skating the puck out of the zone or out to a certain spot, you know, we actually create, we just draw on the ice a star and we call it our Selly star. And so, you know, if a, if a, uh, uh, the offense scores, they get to Selly. If the goalie covers the puck up, they get to Selly. If the defense skates it to a specific spot and gets there before the forward, you know, then you get to Selly on your Selly star. And, you know, incorporating like a TikTok dance or whatever it is that the kids want to do in that moment, um, they think that that just, it makes it, it makes it more fun and development is happening. Like they don't even realize that it's happening because we've, we've hit it so well. So it's a very, very interesting approach. Uh, I personally have never heard this, but it's there are step. There's so many ways to trigger kids' motivation. I personally believe, and this is, I think, this is a very good example, and it's also very practical because I think it's very important that when when we are with the kids that we make it as practical as possible. So because for us, of course, we coaches, we need to have that education. We need to have certain scientific background. But when we're with the kids, it's important that we actually are able to create those fun environments and have practical tools in our, in our, in our pockets. So, and in terms of fun practice activities, so I think this is a, this is a good, good question as well. What does a fun practice activity look like is it more about the activity itself or about the atmosphere that the players are in? That's a great question. Um, I, I think both. I think that anytime, you know, we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, anytime that you can make a game out of something, uh, you create that environment that inherently is just more fun. Um, and when that happens, when kids are having more fun, they're typically giving higher effort because they're competing they're playing hard they want whatever if you've structured the the environment you know well enough then they are motivated to try to achieve whatever it is you know that that you set out for them whether it's you know point systems or goals or sellies whatever whatever that is um if you can create that that physical environment and that kind of goes back to you know the five elements and and really just focusing on you know is it fun on am i touching on all of these all of these elements um, I think that when you do that it inherently is a more fun experience but I think also the you know the the culture you create and the um, the environment you create as a coach of what is the mindset of the players in practice and I think the less like the less predetermined uh, paths and um, you know Whenever we take away the decision making from kids, there is more opportunity for them to not do what we thought they should do. When in all reality, you know, in a game-like environment, we want them to be problem solvers. And so when we take those decisions away from the kids in the practice, you know, and they, you know, we've told them to go around this cone and then go around this cone, but they went around that cone instead. Well, you know, 
was that the right decision or was that, you know, was that just a, they did what we didn't tell them to do. So there's, there's way more opportunity for them to mess up, if you will. Um, then if you just kind of create an environment that allows them to go out there, you give them a problem and they have to figure out how to solve it. And so there really isn't a right or wrong way um, if they can complete whatever the task is to whatever acceptable level you deem as appropriate as a coach. And so it's about creating that environment that says, you know what, like, I'm not going to give you all the answers before the test. I'm going to give you a problem and I'm going to let you figure it out. You're going to fail and that's all right. Like, I want you to just keep trying and keep working. And so I think that, you know, the you know, the physical environment and the, the culture that you create as a coach allows kids to take more risks um, when it's done appropriately and allows them to kind of explore their creativity when it comes to solving problems. Because I always say that our game is just a series of problems that kids need to solve. Anytime that we are practicing, you know, a specific system of you know, a lot of times it's the, the five on breakout is what I usually use as an example where, you know, you dump a puck in, a kid picks, you know, defense picks it up from behind the net, you hit the winger on the boards, you hit the center coming through the middle and, you know, oh, we broke the puck out. But when it comes to a game, you know, if that's the only way that we've worked on our, our breakout, we've only practiced a solution to maybe one maybe two problems that they might see in a game. Whereas if we start to teach concepts instead of systems, especially at the younger ages, then we create decision makers, we create, you know, yeah, decision makers and problem solvers rather than, you know, robots that are going through the motions and just mimicking what we think the breakout should look like. So, yeah. Yeah, so this, this got me thinking again, you know, and I've got one player in mind, um, when I'm, when I'm asking this question, but, you know, I think a lot of the time, um, especially youth coaches and professional coaches as well, they inherit players from other coaches and these players already have a background with that coach and have been developed through several coaches beforehand. And so specifically with the player in my mind, you know, they're so, they look really good and they look like they're a really solid player. Um, but then as soon as they are struggling or um, are faced with a problem that they can't solve, you know, they get frustrated and problem solving really isn't fun for them. They, 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 um, they don't like that challenge. And so when you inherit a player like that, what are your first couple steps in kind of changing their mindset to, to get them to realize that or to get them to start to think about? You know, how do I be creative here? How do I start to solve these problems? And how do I actually start to enjoy the challenge of hockey and, and games? Yeah, it's, it's a phenomenal question. Um, I think engaging them in conversation is one of the, it's, I think, the first step that you have to, you have to do. Um, I think instead of, you know, a lot of times as coaches, we want to tell them what we saw and what we think that they should have done in that situation. Um, I think stepping back and asking that player, you know, what did you see when, when you were in that situation? Like, what were your options? What did, what did you actually see? Okay, well, this is, this is what I saw. It makes sense. That's what you saw. Like, what, you know, what other options did you have to, to solve this problem? And so if you can start to, you know, think about 
asking them those questions of, you know, what did you see? What were your options? Would you do the same thing again? Or would you do something differently? Okay, you do something differently. What do you think you could do differently? And so I think by kind of walking them through the process of, you know, how do I solve this problem? Because a lot of times I think it's really easy to focus on just the problem. And it's, it is, you know, it's, all consuming instead of jumping from the problem to the solution. And I think that that's a, that's a process that, that starts to happen. Um, and we can help facilitate that process as coaches by just asking those simple questions, you know, asking like, what do you think, what do you think you did well in that situation? Okay. I agree. Or I disagree. Like, what do you think you could do even better if you were presented with that exact same scenario again, or this might be a scenario that you see later on, what do you think you would do? And I think that just by engaging them in that conversation and, you know, helping them start to see this is the process to get to, you know, a problem solving type mindset. Um, I think that's really helpful in, in giving them ownership of the problem, but, or of the solution. But at the same time, that kind of touches on the importance of, you know, what what you're doing as a coach now is setting your players up for the next level of development and and so when we see a lot of coaches you know running systems at eight nine ten years old well you're teaching those kids how to solve a problem one way in within this system or a couple of ways within this system but what happens when they go to another and you know the next team and now all of a sudden they're they're running completely different systems well that kid is going to feel like kind of a fish out of water because they're so used to you know breaking the puck out this way this is how we did it this is the only way i know how to do it now all of a sudden they're running this system and i don't know how to work within this system and so i think that if we can create those problem solvers and teach concepts over systems especially at the younger ages we're setting those kids up to be more successful the next year around to be adaptable to whatever coach or whatever system a coach is, is running, if you can understand the, the concepts within a breakout or a power play, then you are going to be much more successful being adaptable and flexible when you go to your next level of development. Yeah, so, you know, I, I, I really enjoy these, uh, these psychological conversations Rick and I have with, I think now we've had four or five of them now, but um, you know, you got me thinking again with something that you said. You said that, you know, asking the player, how did you think that went or how do you think you did there? And, you know, whether you disagree or you agree as a coach. So the, the disagreement piece, um, where does honesty fall into fun? And how, how do you balance those two with your players? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think having that open line of communication with your players, so you've, you, you've built rapport, right? You have a trusting relationship with, with your players and they need to know that, you know, what you want for them is the, what's best for them. And I think that, you know, having that open line of communication, having that trust is the foundation of being able to, to be honest with your players. Um, I think that, you know, depending on, on the, you know, the age of the kid, you know, at some point, if they are consistently making bad choices over and over and over again, um, you know, and you're asking them, you're asking them the right questions. Um, 
that's where I think, you know, maybe giving some feedback and giving some honest feedback and saying like, look, you know, what I saw was this. So maybe next time when you, when you find yourself in this situation, I want you to take just an extra second and look for this player here because the last four times that, that you've tried to break the puck out, they've been there and you just haven't seen them. So what I want you to do next time is get your head up, take that one extra second, see if that person is open, see if you have other options. So it's giving, it's, it's being honest, but giving them, you know, a kind of a, you know, a roadmap, if you will, but within the context of, of they've already kind of, they have that autonomy over that decision that's being made. You're just helping them along in the process. Yeah, but Overall, if we think about that, I, first of all, I need to say, I think that's a very, it's a great, great solution to work with kids because it's very autonomy supportive because you, you don't tell them this is the only way, but you guide them to a possible solution. And it doesn't mean that they still can't use other certain things. And I think that's, that's something I have identified for myself, even though you practice certain things, but at the same time, uh, it's important that we encourage our players that um, that they still come up with their own solution. It's just something they, sh they can keep in mind if, and if it's appropriate, they can maybe use it. But on the other hand is that if it's not available, then be creative and try to figure it out by yourself. That's something what, what I emphasize a lot and what is really important for me. And in terms of fun is that there, everyone has passion for different kinds of things. And I think every kid as well um, has has a passion for something different so how do we help kids to find what is fun for them yeah um you know it's one of those things where it's uh it's a very simple solution and we, we often sorry dog shaking off uh we often overlook it and you know it's at the end of the day it's asking kids what they want you know it's uh youth sport is is a very unique environment that you know us as adults we are responsible for creating the environment that these kids then play within and in any other context you know when you're creating a product for a you know for for somebody you you kind of want to know what it is that they want out of the experience that's one of the reasons why you know video games are so engaging and successful at, at engaging kids because they're they're constantly in contact with them asking them you know what do you want out of this experience what would make it better and so i think that you know this is a the the fun maps are a really good framework and if you ask kids what they like what what is fun for you um i think that you'll see a lot of things you'll hear a lot of the answers that are actually that are in the fun maps but you know each kid you know can be they 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 are slightly different and so it is it's understanding what it is that they want out of the experience and then how how do we as coaches create and, and take that and make make a game out of it you know we, we always talk about the uh the the flintstone vitamins effect where I'm not sure if everybody knows about flintstone vitamins that listen to this podcast but it's you know like a little candy that uh that had all of these vitamins for kids and you know as, as a kid i love my flintstone vitamins it was giving me what i needed without me knowing that that's what i was doing and so if you can do that as a coach and take what the kids want and then you know you wrap it up in a game all of a sudden they're they're getting what they want but they're also getting what they need and they have no idea that it's happening
Yeah, and this this has me thinking a lot about the the conversation we had a few weeks ago with uh, Dr. Wade Gilbert, and he he always mentioned this uh, idea of the the yes but. So he gave the example of his kids; they wanted to paint the walls in his house, but he said, "Yeah, let's do that, but you're going to do it in the garage." So so finding what they want and what their ideas are, and, and twisting it into something that that's beneficial for them and for you. And um, I, I, your answer also got me thinking about you know outside of sports there's there's so much that kids can explore and everything like that so how applicable is this idea of the fun maps into um schools or um you know bands or stuff like that and you know you always think about coaches as teachers so um and i know my mom and i my mom's a principal at a school and we talk often about you know motivating kids and motivating kids to learn about math or learn about um you know tight turns you know so what is there a connection there and can the fun map be used for both yeah it, it's funny because uh whenever we would give this uh presentation at different conferences or clinics and things like that there was inevitably somebody that would come up and say have you ever done this in the you know in the corporate work environment i mean i think that you know like no we haven't done it but you know they're like well this is this would work this would this would you know transfer over into you know like my workplace and um i think one of the reasons why it has that transferability um which is it's pretty cool that it kind of turned out this way is that you know we didn't have kind of went in with one it was one sentence stem you know what makes one thing that makes playing sports fun for players is dot 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 and then just brainstorm everything that that goes into it and so what we found after we analyzed the data is that there are underpinnings in several different motivational theories that have been around and researched for decades. So you have, you know, things like, you know, self-determination theory, which is all about how do we foster that, um, that intrinsic motivation from kids uh, or from, from everybody, anybody in, in different contexts. We have achievement goal theory that it relates into and pulls into the, you know, the four C's of coaching. So there's a whole, there's a whole, you know, plethora of, of motivational theories that have been researched, like I said, for decades, but it, nothing has pulled them all together. And that's kind of what the fun maps have done. So it's just kind of pulling all of these motivational theories together under the umbrella of fun. And so I think that a lot of the, the concepts within the fun maps are absolutely transferable to different environments. And are they going to transfer exactly? No, but the, the underpinnings of them, um, I think absolutely can, can transfer and translate into you know, a school environment, a work environment. It's giving people you know, that autonomy, that feeling of uh, belongingness and the competence to, to be able to complete whatever the task is at hand, you know, that drives that intrinsic motivation. When it comes to actually you know, sustaining participation and giving your best effort all of those things are really really important to making that happen so yeah in terms of you know we now we're speaking a lot about you have been mentioning the achievement goal theory and self-determination theory which is highly connected with intrinsic motivation and i think we have been emphasizing this more than once in our show already we already have been recording an episode uh, we also have been recording an episode about the self-determination theory and we wanted to ask you how are fun maps connected to movement competence, confidence, and motivation? And the 
reason why we asked these questions because in the presentation sending to us, Amanda was speaking about these things and I, I thought this is a very interesting thing. So that's why we have been picking it up. Yeah, yeah. So there's um, movement competence, confidence, and motivation are the underpinnings of, of physical literacy. And, um, you know, I was introduced to, uh, to Dean Krilars uh, about five years ago, and he's one of the leading researchers within this field, and he's just absolutely brilliant. And I remember, I actually remember like the day that I learned about physical literacy, I, uh, I ran back to Amanda's office and was like, look at this, this is exactly, this fits in with the fun map so well. Um, I think that when it comes to physical literacy, you know, having those, um, having the, the movement proficiency, so being able to move in a way that allows you to be successful, uh, whatever task you're trying to, to complete. And so when we think about the, the fun maps, we have that, that aspect of learning and improving, you know, being challenged to improve to get better at your sports, improving your athletic skills to play at the next level, learning new skills, you know, there's, there's a whole uh, underpinning of that, that movement competence. And when kids have that, when they're put, they're put in an environment that, that fosters, you know, creating and, and building that movement competence, it has an immediate effect on their confidence of their ability to be able to, to do that movement or that skill successfully. And when you do that, it's this kind of, it's, again, it goes back to this positive feedback loop. When you have you know, very you know, proficient movement competencies in a wide variety of skills, it allows you to feel more confident that you can go into, you know, in, in hockey, it's like you, that if you are a multi-sport athlete and you are an, an athlete first, a hockey player second, you're more confident going into the corners that you're going to be able to, you know, like give a little shoulder, be solid on your skates, and you're going to be able to figure out a way to come out with the puck. Um, you know, so you have that, that confidence, that confidence, and that's when you have that, it's, it leads to more motivation to continue to get better. Um, what's kind of interesting on that, and I, it's a little, it's not too off, off subject, but um, one thing that's really important to understand about that, though, is the way that so girls and boys when when looked at generally um girls movement competencies are not as they're not as proficient in these movements as as boys and we start to see this happen around age five or six and what happens then is that their confidence around seven, eight starts to just tank, right? So they they don't have the movement competencies. It has an immediate impact, not an immediate, but a few years later impact on their confidence levels. And then after that, after 10, 11, 12 years old, you know, they, they asked in this study, you know, um, I think it was, you know, being physically active makes me happy. And, you know, it was a one to five scale and girls, you know, as they got older, their confidence or their, their motivation to be physically active just tanks. And so the, having those, having an environment that allows you to feel, um, to learn these skills, develop these skills in an environment that 
is supportive so that you can you know take risks be creative fail and not be afraid of you know looking stupid in front of your friends or getting yelled at by the coach um, you know that helps develop those movement competencies that absolutely impacts their confidence which impacts their motivation to continue to participate so when it comes to how those are tied in with with the fun maps i mean it is you know, learning and improving is is the the fourth most important fun factor. Um, you can you can I can identify like specific examples of kids that were not able to they were not confident in their skill level, and because of that, they were not having fun in a specific game because they couldn't be successful at it, and so. I think that you know we have to make sure that the kids have the the movement proficiencies both on and off the ice in order to to have that confidence you know on the ice so uh, a similar question that we we also got from uh, dr visick's um, presentation that you sent us how are fun maps connected to um, participation and performance and uh, personal development of the players yeah. Um, so I think it, it kind of goes back to, you know, understanding that if the kids are having fun, they're going to want to continue to come back. If they're not having fun anymore, the likelihood that they're going to want to continue to come back is, is pretty low. And so when it comes from the, the participation standpoint, we need to, we really need to, to, to make it fun for them. Um, what what often happens though is as adults, we kind of think of fun and athlete development, right? So if they, you know, if we're just having a fun practice, then we're not really learning a whole lot, but it, they're just gonna let the kids goof off because that's as adults, what we are synonymous with goofing or with, with fun is just goofing off or they're not on task. And what the, what the kids have actually told us is that, no, they're not mutually exclusive from one another. They're actually very closely intertwined. And so I like to say, you know, that development is fun. And when, or fun is development. And when development is done right, it is fun. And so we have to, as adults, start to change the way that we think about what fun actually is. Because if we can create an environment that is engaging for the kids, the development is absolutely going to happen. Um, it's just about how do we how do we create an environment that engages them and and you know so much so that they they don't realize that they're developing. They're just playing because at the end of the day, that's what kids really want to do. Um, and as for for the personal development side of it, I think with any sport experience, they're going to uh, they're going to experience adversity. Uh, they're going to experience challenges that they have to overcome. And, and I think that sports offers one of the, you know, the best environments to learn those life skills in, in again, a fun and engaging space. And, and so, you know, we have to learn how to lose. Like, that's just a part of life sometimes. Like, how do you bounce back from that? We have to, you know, think about like injuries, um, you know, these, these challenges that kids are going to inevitably face they um they if we can create that safe space for them to do it within a sport environment then those those life lessons you know translate and transfer into all different areas of your life just not just sports speaking from my side i think that's um one thing i've been taking 
the most away from my playing path is that implementing those life skill or implementing those skills which you acquire through playing sports and playing hockey into your life and also into your mindset that you have have this kind of thinking okay now maybe it's not the best time it's it's a little bit difficult you face failure and adversity but what are you actually going to do about it i think that's the even more important question to ask and how do you react to it and how do you will bounce back and i wanted to ask you and in terms of that a uh, very important factor in every, every kind of sport is um is participation and i think this is, becomes especially important in ice hockey because if we um over if we if we see that or if we check our sports i think our sports is not a sport which is played a lot around the world if i compare it for example to football or to um or to basketball because you just need need more uh, less equipment so that's why i think it's even more important to create an environment where we keep our our kids engaged and i wanted to ask you how do I, how does actually fun maps or in, in terms of having an engaging and fun environment help to decrease players retention and helping to play to helping to keep the players in the game yeah um i i mean i think that you know we have kids have so many different competing uh priorities you know and i mean that can be virtual it can be games it can be you know other sports and i think that you know it, it really comes down to understanding what it is that they want out of the experience and then trying to give them that experience while continuing to make sure that they they are developing along the way um you know when fun it, it not being fun anymore is the number one reason why kids cite that they stop playing sports it's so critical for us as adults to understand how do we create that experience and so i think it really just kind of goes back to i mean i'm it sound might sound like a broken record but i think that you know the the more creative that we can be as coaches to uh, think of ways to hide that development in a game the more engaging, the more fun the, the kids are going to have. And, you know, with that, as they continue to develop, like they're going to have more fun because they can, you know, do harder things. They can, you know, be challenged in different ways. And um, I think that it, it just, it, it really comes down to just making it, uh, making it a game-like environment that they can learn specific concept skills that will make them successful in, in a game. It's at the end of the day, you know, the, the game is the, the test at the, the end of the week and the practices are where all the development happens. And so those practices are the only thing that we as coaches kind of have control over structuring. I mean, we kind of have to give up some control when, when we're, you know, coaching on the bench. Um, we can't really tell them we'd love to have that joystick where we could move our players around where, where we think they should be. But um, it's, it's really comes down to we have to give them the tools that they are going to need to be able to solve the problems in that that test. So, yeah. So, kind of jumping off of the the participation and the retention. Do you think fun? Uh, you you mentioned the transferability to different fields earlier, but do you think do you think fun is cultural in the sense that, you know, kids in Europe might find fun different than kids in the U.S. or do you think it's kind of universal? 
That's a great question. And, um, and so we are lucky enough to, to work with the Swedish Ice Hockey Federation. And so they've taken the, the fun maps and um, we've, they've translated that all into, into Swedish. And uh, I think this fall, they're gonna start collecting data on importance levels of, so the things, you know, on all of those determinants uh, and, and we're gonna be able to see you know, actually have, you know, science and data to, to say whether or not, you know, there's a huge cultural difference. Um, what we've seen so far, and with talking with the experts in, in with the Swedish Ice Hockey Federation, they don't think that there's going to be a, a huge cultural difference in terms of which, uh, which aspects and which determinants are the most important to the, creating that fun experience. What we, what we have noticed is that there are some cultural differences in, in just the way that um, kids talk about their experiences, where in the US and in, in America, um, there is, we're more culturally individualistic, right? So it's more like, how does this impact me? Whereas what we noticed when we were translating the, the data into Swedish, um, the the kids talked more about the the collective team and and so i think that there's going to be there'll probably be subtle differences uh, and i'm really excited to see you know what that data actually shows but i think because the because the under underpinnings are founded in um are grounded in so many different motivational theories that have been extensively researched in all sorts of different cultures um, across the world I think that the you know the the levels of autonomy, that feeling of belongingness, that the levels of competence, you know, those those things are going to continue to be the most important, just because those are the underpinnings of of that intrinsic motivation. So, I we don't have data on it yet, but from the you know initial uh, the initial data that we do have, what we're starting to see is like subtle differences. But I'm really excited to see the hard data once it comes in on on the importance levels of the different factors and determinants. Yeah, yeah, that'll be interesting to see for sure. And I think especially because you know coming from the states and and working now with kids in Finland, it it I kind of have that same I. Uh, hypothesis I guess I'm not I don't know if I would call it an educated guess exactly but you know where they seem to have fun in the same ways and they seem to like doing the same things and um you know I'm sorry that we're jumping around here so much at the end but um like I said earlier these these conversations always get me so so interested and I have so many follow-up questions that come out of them and you know my my next one is is we just talked to to Darren Kresselbrink uh um i Crucial Drink, um, a motor learning and applied psychology professor from uh, Acadia University. And we were talking to him about, you know, becoming an expert and kind of nurturing expertise in a way. So is it possible to become an expert in your, in your um, opinion, or maybe the research back this up as well? Is it possible to become an expert um, just through having fun um, in hockey or in something else? Yeah, I, so the the USOPC did a, a study um, a few years back, and they looked at and they asked um, Olympians from this, this is U.S. Olympians from uh, the nineteen I think it was nineteen eighty to two thousand uh, games, and then from two thousand to two thousand twelve. 
And so one of the things that they asked was, what motivated you to start participating in your sport? And fun was at, you know, I think it was in the top four. And then they asked, what motivated you to seek the highest level of excellence in your sport? I mean, you're playing at the, the highest level that is possible in your sport. You know, what motivated you to do that? And fun, again, was in the top three or four. What's interesting, though, is when you look at what was above it, they were actually, once the kids, we have this operational definition of fun, they were actually determinants of fun. I think it was competing, and uh, and I can't remember what the other one was, but they, it, it definitely is, is, they were determinants of fun. And so when you think about that, that means that the players that we would all consider to be expert level players in their sports are identifying you know, fun determinants and identifying that fun is still a huge important factor in, in motivating them to pursue that level of mastery and excellence. And so when you ask, you know, do you think that, you know, you can achieve mastery or, or achieve excellence, you know, through fun, I think that it, it's critical and it's not, um, you know, Amanda talks about how, because she's a a uh, certified mental performance coach um, as well. And so she works on the sports psychology side with, you know, a lot of, a lot of athletes and um, college athletes. And that's one of the things when their performance starts to, to drop, it is, uh, it's, it's purely, you know, they, a lot of times it's because they, they've lost the passion. It's not as fun anymore. And so, you know, she has to step back and say, okay, you know, like, how do we, how do we make you excited about this again? How do we get you, you know, passionate about this again? And, you know, it's really about how do we find the fun in that experience? Because we know that if the players are having fun, they're going to be pushing themselves to the highest level that they can. So, yeah, I definitely think that it's a huge component in mastery. Oh. In terms of that, because something you, you mentioned something what caught my interest here very much is that how do we actually, when someone is losing his or her passion, how do we help the person, the particular person um, to find it back? And maybe my question is here a little bit related is that how do we keep activities um, overall fresh over the long-term run mm -hmm. so that athletes really realize it's that it's the fun component and the development com component at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think understanding it's the, you know, what is the skill level and what is the challenge level when it comes to keeping them engaged in that, that experience. You know, we talk about when their skill level is really high, but the challenge is really low, then they're disengaged. This is boring. They, they can do it. It's easy. When their skill level is really low, but the challenge is really high, then they get anxious. They, they get disengaged again. Like, I don't want to do this because I'm going to fail. I can't be successful at that. And so I think that by understanding where your players are in their you know, road of development and, and appropriately challenging them. And, and, you know, it is, yes, you have to be able to, to, you know, provide different opportunities and different games and, and, you know, keep it fresh in that way. But I think what, what is the most important when it comes to keeping them engaged within that environment is, is just making sure that that challenge level is just out of reach, right? And then they have to work, work, work to reach it. And then once they reach it, then you, you up the ante just a little bit more, and then they have to, you know, go a little bit harder and, uh, and work a little harder to achieve whatever that challenge is. And uh, so I think that 
keeping them engaged is really about understanding where they are in their development and then meeting them where they are and then just kind of pushing them a little bit more each time, uh, each opportunity you get. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's kind of a, a good place to start wrapping it up. And, and Heather, I think we have one more question for you, if you don't mind. Um, what, what is your favorite piece of fun? You know, as a coach, when you think about the fun map study, what, what's your favorite piece of it? Hmm. That's a great question. I think, I think that I, I love the trying hard aspect of it. There's one thing that, um, that will, that really fresh used to frustrate me as a coach is, is and, and really as a person in, in all aspects of my life is you know, people that just don't give effort. And, uh, if you're not trying hard, like it's really frustrating for me to, to kind of sit back and just be a part of that experience. And so I think that coming out of the, this experience with being a part of the fun maps, you know, understanding that that that's really, really important. But even more than that is the, the understanding that as a coach, you know, instead of just saying like, these kids just don't try hard, they don't care. It's, it was realizing, and this kind of happened once I started working with USA Hockey and understanding the, you know, constraints led approach and skill acquisition through games and things like that. It's understanding as a coach that we have the power and the ability and, um, really the obligation to create the environment that wants that makes kids want to try hard because if we've done that then we've engaged them in a way that they're giving you know the most effort and you know is trying hard going to yes it's some it's the top three most important whether they're younger kids or older kids is it going to look exactly the same like no you know trying hard to an eight-year-old is a little bit different than trying hard to an 18 year old you know it might be sharks and minnows as an eight-year-old in a battle drill or battle you know corner drill um, as an 18 year old like the trying hard might look different but the underlying concept is still the same it's about creating an environment that engages your players to want to give that effort um, I think that was probably one of the things that I, you know, it was kind of when the fun maps and, and USA hockey combined that I made that connection in my head. And I thought that's so stinking powerful as a coach to, you know, to have that in your toolbox and that understanding that you have the ability to, to create that environment for the kids and, and elicit a behavior that we all as coaches want, which is just kids that give effort. So. Yeah, well, that's great. And I think that that's, that is, um, it is really powerful. And I think that that is a message that a lot of coaches can, can take away and, and start to use. And, you know, thank you, Heather, so much for joining us today. I thought it was a really interesting, really thought-provoking ep um, episode and conversation. So, you know, just thanks for taking the time. And, you know, we hope you stay healthy and have a good season. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. <laughs> First of all, one more time, thanks to Heather for taking the time and joining our show. It was a pleasure to talk with her about the FunMap study. And we have been hearing some very exciting things today. And uh, one thing what is very important for Derek and us, to all the guests we speak, it's that once we hear something new, that we try it out right away in our own practices. And we hope that this has been useful for other people as well. And that. 
you also have, have the opportunity to try these things out by yourself and then see how it works. Yeah, Rick, I think that that's, you know, one of the best things about our coaching situations here is we get to try so many of these ideas and, and see what works and, and see how we use them. And, you know, talking about fun, you know, it was super interesting to me to find, you know, Heather put it as an operational definition of, of what fun is. And, and it's from the kid's voice. And, you know, I think that that is, it's such a powerful tool for coaches to know exactly what is fun for their kids. And, you know, Heather made a good point right at the end of the episode that, you know, fun, it equals development. They're not separate. They're not mutually exclusive. They're, they're the same thing, you know, as players develop, they have fun. And as they have fun, they develop. And I think that is what gets lost so much in youth sports is that they're not separated. They're the same thing. And, you know, I think we can all think of experiences where the coach says, you know, they, they shouldn't be having fun. You know, they should be working and they should be doing what I say and everything like that. And, you know, taking that fun aspect away from the kids, you know, it decreases their motivation and, you know, they don't work as hard. They don't have as much effort. They don't have as much focus and, and then they don't develop as much. So you really need to keep those two connected. And, you know, the, the, that's the main reason that kids play sports is to have fun and, and to keep that or to take that away from kids, I think is, is one of the worst things that you can do as a coach. Um, but I think it was, it was really interesting if you think about the, the categories that they broke down fun into and, and put these 81 determinants into the 11 categories and how all of the top three were the same between, you know, levels and ages and gender and, you know, any other differences between the kids, they were the same and, you know, working hard, positive team dynamics and positive coaching. That's what is the top three things that kids find fun in sports. And I think that that's something that's really powerful. Yeah, definitely. And also to your point was what you were just mentioning. It, it doesn't decrease only the motivation. It also decreases their courage of trying something new. And I think it also decreases their motivation of really, you, you mentioned those three most selected components, trying hard, positive team dynamics and positive coaching. It decreases also their, I think, their ability of trying hard and really developing that positive team dynamic where they can develop positive relationships to each other and where they can support each other. And where actually act, where every, everyone has to have the same opportunity to play the same opportunity to get something out of this. Yeah, I would agree. And I think, you know, one of the most interesting things I found about, you know, positive coaching when I was doing the, the pre research prior to the interview and then talking to Heather as well, you know, it's the top thing for kids when they think of their coach and a positive coach, it's, it's a coach that treats their players with respect. And I think that that's something that is crucial. And a lot of coaches don't, don't really think about how they're treating their players if they're treating them respectfully. You know, they, you know some, some coaches might think, oh, yeah, these are just kids and stuff like that. Like, no, they, they're humans. They have emotions. They have feelings. You know, they have needs. They have wants. You know, they, all of this stuff needs to be accounted for. And that's part of treating them with respect, you know, the respect of being another human. And I think that is something that throughout our show, we've touched on so many times. And I think that that is, you know, it's a powerful aspect of power, positive coaching. But then, you know, she mentioned that coaches uh, found a big difference between what they thought kids thought were fun and what kids thought, 
was fun for themselves and trying hard being on the top of the list for kids is surprising to a lot of coaches I think and it was surprising to me as well because you know you may not think your kid likes to work hard or your athletes like to work hard but in reality you know they want to try hard they want to work hard they want to be out there playing their best and trying their hardest but it's you know it, it can't come from an external source they have to kind of try hard without realizing they're trying hard yeah and i also just it came to my mind when we speak about positive coaching and treating each other respect what you always think about is that maybe now let's say i'm 23 years old at the moment i'm coaching with you for together 13 year old kids but just thinking a bit about 10 years to the future then they are 23 and um well we have gotten a bit older i'm 33 then but it doesn't matter in the end um but however my point is here that those people or those players they will remember how they have been treating you and as as i've been hearing in another podcast it's that kids are not mini adults or something else and they're going going to be they're going to remember how how you have been how you have been treating them and i think by this you can have a massive impact on their life and overall about their thought process yeah for sure and i think that you know one of the crucial aspects of that is is what you just said they're not many adults and you know respecting that and treating them like that you know they should not be treated as a 22 year old would be as a 23 year old would be and you know the the i think one of the one of the um things that we can relate to is is you know how much should they be paying attention you know and how much should they be quiet and not moving and everything like that when a coach is speaking you know that's really tough to say but you know they're kids it's it's okay for them to you know shoot the puck or do anything like that like it's it's part of that process of course you know there's limits and everything like that but you know taking everything away and expecting them to act like a, a 20 year old or a 30 year old you know that's unrealistic and, and kind of unfair um but you know when you talk about creating a fun environment for kids you know heather mentioned the the five practice design elements that usa hockey has and how they're actually all a part of fun so for me it's almost like fun should be this overarching theme when you design your practices and everything should have some element of fun for the kids and, and fun by this operational definition that we now have so part of me part of part of that for me is you know are they making decisions what decisions are they making not just within the drills and within the the games that you have set up but also within the practice you know are they making decisions on what they get to do what they want to do and and are they having some input in how they train and everything like that Yeah, I've, I definitely have nothing to add here. It's um, you pinpointed 100%, and I'm overall very glad that we had the opportunity to speak with Anna because it's a the project they have been doing is a is a very eye-opening one because it really shows that what kids identify as as fun, and it's just important that we create in practice that we create a fun environment where. They have the opportunity to actually be themselves, and at the same time, where they have the opportunity to develop those 
positive team, line, team dynamics, but where they also have the opportunity to give their best every day. And at this point, it's that I think trying hard and um, positive team coaching, they overlap a little bit. If there's not positive team coaching, it's very difficult for a kid to try hard and it's very difficult for a kid to have the courage to try something different. And even if we move on on a uh, higher level, let's say from under 18s, under 20s, and even in professional level, I think some of these things, they are still totally applicable because if we think about professionals, well, very often you have young players in the roster who are 20 and or 22 years old and they are for sure not yet at their fullest potential. And I don't even think that you can ever reach your fullest potential. And I think that's why these things, they're very applicable regardless of age group. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think the, the last thing that I want to mention here is this, we touched on it a little bit with Heather, is this honesty and how that relates to fun. And, you know, uh, for me, it, it's something that I'm really interested in now is, is feedback and different types of feedback. And, and how we use feedback to kind of drive motivation internally. And I think that honesty is such a key piece of being a coach, right? And it's not just, you know, all it, it can't always be, hey, you're doing a good job, but it, it doesn't always have to be like, hey, you know, you did this wrong, do it better. You know, so it's, she put it in a really good terms that I think I'm, I'm going to steal from hers. You know, it's being honest, but it's not taking away their autonomy. So, you know, when you talk about autonomy, supportive feedback and, and kind of choices within boundaries, that's what kind of feedback should look at, look like for kids, you know, hey, you may want to try to pass, you know, with a sweeping motion instead of a slapping motion, because it might be a little bit easier to find your target, you know, giving them some information about why they want to try that change, but then not forcing them to try that change. I think that that is, is really powerful and that's how you kind of tie in that honesty with that fun. She gave a really good example about this in our episode as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think that's a, a good place to wrap it up for the day. So thank you everybody for listening. Um, please check out Heather on Twitter as well as Amanda Visek. You can find their information in the show notes um, and you know, find out some more with the fun maps we're excited at the beginning. We'll link some resources in the show notes as well. Um, it's, it's great stuff to know and really powerful for any coach or any, any person in charge of development for kids. Um, as always, you know, feel free to connect with the show on social media. We are uh, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Coaches Road. And we always love to hear from you guys with any feedback or suggestions or recommendations for future guests or future topics. Um, our email is thecoachesroad at gmail.com. We hope everyone enjoyed our conversation with Heather about the fund integration theory. So again, thanks for listening and we'll see you on Thursday with our episode with Sean Hathaway.